0: Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night. Frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries, but I promise all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, today's episode is going to be a very fun one. At least, I think it's going to be, so I hope you agree with me. With that said, we will still be playing our drinking game, and as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours. So, Pick your poison accordingly. Alright, now for the game part. How about every time I say, Barber? That's going to be a single shot. And I know you guys are going, Oh God, what is it going to be? And every time I say, Sweeney or Todd, that will be a double shot. I hope you guys are going, Yay! Okay, now that the business end is out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma. So, don your best Dark Ages Renaissance Fair costume and grab your sharpest razor for today's tale, the true and terrible tale of Sweeney Todd, the Barbershop Butcher. I hope you caught that. That was at least three or four shots in there. <laughs> On a late March afternoon, the London drizzle and fog made it seem as if night had already fallen. A lone figure paused outside a church on Fleet Street, pulling a gold-braided hat over his eyes and wrapping his expensive cloak around him. Something caught his attention, the flash of metal in the candlelight of a filthy shop. Its window was dirt-encrusted, but through the grime and haze a notice could be made out, easy shaving for a penny. The stranger ran his hand over his stubbly chin. It was 1785, and he had arrived in London early to do business, and was to stay overnight. Perhaps he should smarten himself up. The proceeds of the business deal were folded in his wallet, and who knew what the evening would bring him? Minutes later, the man settled in the barber's chair, but not for long. At the throw of an unseen lever, the seat tipped backwards, and the floorboards in front of his feet rose up, the ceiling spinning. He was flipped out of the chair and into the cellar below, and if his neck wasn't broken by the fall onto the basement's stone floor, Sweeney Todd, the barber, would soon slit his throat with a razor. Then the man was stripped of his money and his flesh. Along with 160 others, his body was sliced up and used in pies. It's a bloodthirsty tale, which touches one of mankind's most primal fears, that of being killed and eaten. But this forerunner of Hannibal Lecter, and a serial killer far suppressing the Yorkshire Ripper, has also its own morbid attraction. Sweeney Todd's name is seen in Victorian penny-dreadful newspapers, and then 19th-century melodrama complete with his very own catchphrase, see how I polish him off. In modern times, The Demon Barber's Tale has been adapted first as a Stephen Sondheim musical, and a Tim Burton film starring Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. Which, by the way, if you haven't watched it, is amazing! Anyways... Todd's story, however, has always been dismissed as exactly that, just a story. For years, his existence was just denied. Academics pronounced him a fictional composite, his grisly character an amalgam of several different serial killers. But, after 25 years of research, new information was discovered that proves inescapably that Sweeney Todd did, in fact, exist. Pouring over archives in London and Washington, looking at 18th-century maps, and scrutinizing contemporary publications, they revealed that Todd's life and crimes were more intriguing, more curious, and more gruesome than previously suspected. Moreover, his background conforms to the psychological profiles of serial killers built up by modern police criminologists. The Demon Barber's crimes, it turns out, are no urban myth. Sweeney Todd was born on October twenty-sixth, 1756, in Brick Lane. The house in which the child first breathed the fetid air of the East London slums isn't really known, but it was probably somewhere near Spidal Fields. His troubled, violent early life mirrors that of more recent killers. Todd's mother, not even 20, scratched out a living, winding silk. Her husband, a struggling silk weaver, was a drunk who beat not only his son, but his wife as well. Todd said later, and I quote My mother used to make quite a pet of me. I was fondled and kissed and called a pretty boy. I used to wish I was strong enough to throttle her. What the devil did she bring me into this world for, unless she had plenty of money to give me so that I might enjoy myself in it? End quote this undercurrent of malevolence was compounded by the young Todd's bizarre interest in the instruments of torture displayed at the nearby Tower of London. To escape his parents' brawlings, he lingered in the Tower's museum, where thumbscrews, racks, and other macabre tools were displayed to discourage citizens from dissent. Todd hated his home life and his gin-addled parents' He's unlikely to have shed a tear when, in the freezing winter of 1768, they disappeared, probably dying on the streets while seeking booze. Equally mysterious is how the boy survived that winter, turning up the next year as an apprentice cutler. His master, John Crook of Holborn, specialized in, you guessed it, razors. The boy's life abruptly changed again in 1770, when Todd was jailed for five years for petty theft. His crime is not recorded, but he entered Newgate Prison at age 14, feeling even more bitter about his life. In prison, fate overtook the semi-literate boy. The prison's barber, a grizzled old man called Plummer, employed him as an assistant where he soaped condemned men's chins for shaving before they walked to the gallows. Despite his association with Plummer, Todd did not escape the vindictiveness of fellow prisoners. On one occasion, he was left for dead after a beating for pilfering from a murderer. The Sweeney Todd who walked out of Newgate in autumn 1775 was a strapping 19-year-old boy with a grudge. The years had made him morose and resentful, and he would soon repay London for the violence it had visited upon him many times over. With his new skills, Todd made a good living as a street corner barber. Within five years of leaving prison, he had earned enough to open his own shop near Hyde Park Corner. There, the barber was helped by a young woman who he referred to as his wife, despite his never marrying, and who bore the brunt of Todd's growing rages. Already, the signs were there in the barber's behavior. Criminal psychologists now believe violence in the home is an early indicator of a pros- propensity towards murder. They rehearse brutality behind closed doors before embarking on murderous careers. By now, Violence was the norm for Todd, as victim and perpetrator. The event that pushed him over the edge occurred in December 1784. A yearly news chronicle of the time tells the story, and I quote: A young gentleman, by chance, coming into the barber shop to be shaved and dressed, and being in liquor, mentioned having seen a fine girl in Hamilton Street, from whom he had had certain favors the night before. The barber concluding this to be his wife, and in the height of his frenzy, cut the young gentleman's throat from ear to ear and absconded. End quote. Was the murderer Todd? Well, we can't be certain. But he said after his arrest many years later, and I quote, My first was a young gent at Hyde Park Corner. Slit him from ear to ear, I did. End quote. Sounds like it might have been. There is, however, no disputing where he next came to light, Fleet Street. There he would combine the ingenuity of a cutler with the skill of a barber to embark on an era of bloodshed unique in British criminal history. London at the time was a perfect setting for Todd's misdeeds. Policing was in its infancy, and human life was cheap, with the stench of poverty illness, and debauchery enveloping the crowded city. Fleet Street itself was little more than a huddle of taverns, mean dwellings, exhibitions, and freak shows. The exact location of Todd's shop is disputed. It is believed to have been at number 186 Fleet Street beside St. St. Dunstan's Church. Its position is in direct line to Bell Yard on the other side of the church where the pie shop was placed. The two points linked by many passageways. When completing a new edition of his book on Todd, the London filmmaker Tom Litter added an intriguing piece to the puzzle. He had located old plans of the tunnels which satisfied him that this labyrinth made communication between Fleet Street and Bell Yard feasible. He invited to visit the underground chambers, and it was not difficult to see how they may have served Todd's evil purposes. Todd paid £125 for the lease on the dilapidated shop and advertised his dual role as barber and surgeon with a white pole striped in red. The words, Sweeney Todd, barber, were painted in fat yellow letters over the door. The 18th century barber was both hairdresser and doctor. People went to him for minor bodily complaints, and some barbers were even surgeons and performed small operations. Now, before you freak out, this was kind of the norm at this time. Barbers did a lot more than just cut your hair. Most of them performed small surgeries. They even did dentistry in some of them. So, that's where the red and white barber pole comes from, and I'm going to tell you about that now. The white on the pole represents a bandage with which the patient was bound after an operation. Sweeney Todd's window displayed jars filled with coagulated blood and rotten teeth. These were meant to advertise his skill at pulling teeth and bleeding clients. The barber himself was, if anything, even less attractive than his run-down shop. Accounts describe him as sullen, with heavy eyebrows a hard mouth, and pugnacious features. The Gentleman's Magazine said in 1853, and I quote, There was also something very sinister about him with his pale face and reddish hair. At times he was like some hobgoblin, his strange dark eyes agleam with greed and cunning, End quote. The second killing ascribed to Sweeney Todd was committed in Fleet Street an article in the Daily Courant of April Fourteenth, 1785, reported the murder of a young gentleman who had fallen into conversation with a man dressed as a barber. It said, and I quote, The two men came to an argument, and of a sudden the barber took from his clothing a razor and slit the throat of the young man, thereafter disappearing and was seen no more. End quote. Todd also killed an apprentice around this time, after he called at the barber shop, carrying money for his master. Three more deaths in this period have been attributed to Todd, those of a pawnbroker, a share dealer, and a petty crook. They were the last to die beyond the confines of Todd's shop. By now, he had the means to kill and rob with greater certainty on his own premises, his revolving chair. The device, with a seat on either side of a movable square of floorboards, was possibly inspired by a waxworks exhibition in Fleet Street, where revolving machinery made wax figures kick out and frighten visitors. There's only one authentic account of a victim being murdered in the chair, recorded in an incomplete handwritten document. The report was made by a man whose father had been killed by Sweeney Todd somewhere in the neighborhood of 1798. Thomas Shadwell, a watchman at St. Bartholomew's Hospital, was also robbed of a gold pocket watch, later recovered from 186 Fleet Street. By now, Todd was dissatisfied with the money and the valuables he had amassed from his victims. The barber sought a better way to dispose of the bodies. He found his solution in a young widow by the name of Miss Levitt. Her first name has been given as Marjorie or Sarah, and she appeared to have a penchant for strong, violent men. It's surprising to some that Todd should have had lovers. The cliché of the serial killer is that of the lonely Norman Bates type. But multiple murderers often have wives or even girlfriends, such as Ian Huntley with Maxine Carr, Ian Brady with Myra Hindley, and Peter Sutcliffe was married. Whatever the dynamics of their relationship, Todd sensed a kindred spirit in Lovett. The attraction between the big ugly man and the buxom widow was also, without doubt, strongly sexual. After their moments of intimacy, which legend tells us followed a successful murder and the preparation of the flesh for the pies, Lovett may well have found her lover's coarseness irritating, but the gruesome relationship prospered. Serial killers usually repeat their methods. Todd did exactly that after his initial murders. He would cut off the arms and legs and then slice the soft flesh from the torso. This was added to the meat, stripped from the limbs plus the heart, liver, and kidneys, and put in a box for carrying along tunnels to Lovett's Bakery beneath her shop. I'm just going to say that if you're not already going, Ew, I'm like, trying to hold the vomit back because seriously it's gross anyways there it was made into the pies that were so very popular with her customers the bones were left to rot in a disused family vault under the church it was the smell of rotting flesh from saint dunstan's that was the undoing of todd the daily courant reported and i quote the dreadful charnel-house sort of smell would would make itself most painfully and disagreeably apparent." End quote. This and rumors about seafaring men disappearing from Todd's shop attracted the attention of Sir Richard Blunt, police magistrate of the Bow Street Runners' Craven Street office. In 1801, Blunt ordered the runners to watch Todd's shop Several times, Blunt visited the barbers himself and was shaved, but always with a companion. Later, he searched the church tunnels, where his party soon stumbled upon the family vault and the recent remains of human bodies. Going further, following footsteps in the dirt, the runners found themselves at the back of Lovett's underground cookhouse. The evidence confirmed a nightmare Blunt had been reluctant to admit. Todd was not only a mass murderer, but he was turning his victims into filling for pies. Later, while the barber was out, police searched his shop. They found cupboards stuffed with clothes and drawers of valuables such as gold watches. When Lovett was arrested, she confessed. She said she was a willing accomplice, but did not elaborate on whether that was out of love or fear. Blunt and his men then strode into 186 Fleet Street to write the last chapter in the Bloody Saga of the Demon Barber. Todd was handcuffed and taken to Newgate Prison. London was gripped by stories of the pair's crimes. Crowds gathered in Fleet Street and Bow Street, anxious to hear the latest gossip. But as Blunt busied himself preparing the evidence for the trial, he received crashing news. Lovett had killed herself with poison probably bought from a guard. The coming prosecution overshadowed the Christmas of 1801. The Daily Current predicted it would be one of the trials of the age and so it was as comprehensive reports in the Newgate calendar show. Subtitled, The Malefactor's Bloody Register, the Newgate's calendar's weekly accounts of sensational trials presaged modern crime reporting, treating highwaymen and other criminals as celebrities. Its reports prove beyond doubt that Todd existed. Todd was charged at the Old Bailey with a single murder, that of Francis Thornhill. The Attorney General for the prosecution described how Thornhill had been commissioned to take a string of pearls worth 16,000 pounds to a young woman in London. On his way to deliver them, he went to Todd's shop to be shaved and was never seen again. Todd later pawned a string of pearls for a thousand pounds. Thornhill's case inspired The String of Pearls, a serial published in a weekly magazine in 1846, which weaved in other characters and events. It is also the basis of numerous books and plays, in turn leading to the 1979 Sondheim musical and Tim Burton's movie. Continuing his submission, the Attorney General told the court that clothing for 160 people were found in Todd's shop. There was stunned silence. Men and women looked at each other in disbelief. Had they heard that right? There was more. The prosecution was able to prove a leg bone found in the church vaults belonged to Thornhill. A surgeon, Sylvester Steers, who treated Thornhill for a fracture, recognized the bone as his patients. The jury conferred for less than five minutes before delivering a guilty verdict pandemonium broke out, and the judge struggled to restore order. Then, says the Newgate Calendar, I quote, all eyes were turned upon the most dastardly criminal of the age, Sweeney Todd, who stood in the dock glaring at the foreman of the jury, end quote. The sentencing of criminals in 1802 did not require the judge to withdraw first. He simply took up a black cap and placed it over his wig before delivering the death sentence. And I quote, You cannot expect that society can do otherwise than put out of life someone who, like yourself, has been a terror and a scourge. Quote. After his execution, the facts about Sweeney Taub were rapidly distorted. Most accounts say he was ha- hanged at Tyburn, the infamous spot for dispatching highwaymen now occupied by Marble Arch. In fact, execution ceased at Tyburn in 1783. Instead, Sweeney Todd was taken from his cell in Newgate on the morning of January 25, 1802, and hanged on a portable scaffold in front of a crowd of thousands. He was 46. Even in death, there was a final sickening irony. Todd's body was taken down after hanging for an hour and carried to the Royal College of Surgeons in the Old Bailey for dissection. The demon barber was himself polished off, butchered for the benefit of the nascent medical profession. It seemed doubly appropriate that he should end his days as a pile of flesh, bones, and offal. And not to be too on point, but to quote Sweeney Todd himself, well, the Stephen Sondheim version anyway, they all deserve to die. Even you, Mrs. Lovett, even I, because the lives of the wicked should be made brief for the rest of us. Death would be relief. And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of our episode. And I thank you for joining me here today. And I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and tell me what you think. Share your thoughts on what you think of Sweeney Todd. You can reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you just want to tell me what you think, you're bored and you need someone to talk to. Drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And on that note, darlings, that is all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it, don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. Uh This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.